Hey folks, Preet here. It was another busy week for former President Donald Trump. In a new brief, Trump argues that chaos and bedlam would be unleashed if the Supreme Court upholds the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to disqualify him from the presidential election ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And Trump is defending himself in yet another civil trial brought by writer E. Jean Carroll. This time, only the amount in damages is at issue, and Carroll is seeking more than $10 million. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So now we get to the question of the quality of the representation that Donald Trump is getting or has gotten in the past. I did a television interview yesterday that has not yet aired where I got the question, what do you think of Trump's lawyers? And I involuntarily <laughs> began laughing, which, which, and then I, I caught myself and I took a deep breath and I said, tell me if you agree with this, then we'll talk about how his defamation defense has been going. As an initial matter, Donald Trump was the president of the United States of America. And as the president, and even as a former president, he should be able to command among the finest legal practitioners and minds in the country, like at the very, very, very top of their profession and their game. Because, and, and by the way, you know, notwithstanding the fact that he often doesn't pay, there are many lawyers who would take on such a representation of a former or sitting president of the United States totally free. It doesn't get more high profile than that. And if you're a competitive lawyer, you prevail, you have a good result for a current or former president of the United States, you're kind of set, right? Every high stakes future target or defendant, civil or criminal, is going to seek you out. You'll have your own Wikipedia page and you will never lack for business. Totally agree. All fair? Totally agree. I wrote about it last week in my newsletter to make the point and maybe I'm going to have to eat my words right now, that the criticism of Alina Habba was less pure criticism of her and more a real bewilderment that she was the best that a former president could field in a case of this significance. So, so let's start with the fact that Donald Trump has and has had quite good lawyers, right? He has had some excellent lawyers and, and still some does. excellent lawyers. I just want to be, I want to be fair <laughs> on the spectrum. So, for example, his lawyer who argued in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals for him recently, we talked about the argument, John Laro, very good lawyer. I think he had an uphill battle with respect to the argument, but very, very capable. Another example, Todd Blanche, who used to work for me at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District, was a supervisor when I oversaw the office. I'm not sure it was a great decision for him to go work on the Manhattan DA case and one or two of the other cases, but good, competent strong lawyer. And there are others in that category as well. Then you have a category of lawyer, and these are my own made-up categories, <laughs> category of lawyer, who are basically charlatans whose law licenses have either been revoked or are subject to being revoked and are otherwise criminal defendants in their own cases. They include Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and some others. So I find it peculiar being faced with the question of what you think about the quality of Trump's lawyers. There are some very highly capable smart, good lawyers. There are some who are potentially criminal defendants and may be convicted felons on their own. 
And then there's this sort of area that, that I put Alina Haba in, which is in over their head. And don't have the right, you know, my, my experience now being in private practice is people who are wise in their choice of counsel want people who have not just smarts and presence, but also some relevant background and expertise in the field. Or if they're going to go to trial, I mean, there, there are lawyers who are trial lawyers and other lawyers who are appellate lawyers. And the best lawyers can do all of those things. Uh, and some lawyers are good at negotiating a settlement. And some lawyers are good at brief writing. And again, as I said, some lawyers are good at all of those things. That's rare. People tend to specialize in the same way that you can be a good baseball player, but not everyone can pitch and hit and field, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your overall view of Alina Habba's performance at the E. Jean Carroll trial? You know, I, I think something it's safe to say is that her strengths are not courtroom procedure. She's not a trial lawyer, and, and that showed very clearly. What do you make of this exchange? Judge Kaplan had a sharp exchange, actually multiple sharp exchanges. And, you know, this is not on video or on audio that I'm aware of. So uh, the characterization as sharp is just based on the transcript. And there's this question on Trump's presence in the courtroom. And Judge Kaplan says nobody is stopping him from doing either, meaning being present either in person or by counsel. And with respect to this particular dispute, he says the application is denied. I will hear no further argument on it. None. Do you understand that word? None. Please sit down. Alina Habba's reaction was interesting. Quote, I don't like to be spoken to that way. And we're going to be here for several days. I'm not going to speak to Carol lawyer, Roberta Kaplan like that. I will not speak to you like that. And I'm asking your honor to please refrain from speaking to me in that manner. End quote. Discuss. This is a scene from Legally Blonde, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to get to later my theory as to how she learned how to cross-examine and conduct herself in court. <laughs> She's not invented it out of whole cloth. She's modeling stuff that has been seen on television. But is that, look, I, I, we, we taught our assistants that when you think you are correct and you think the judge is being unfair or unfavorable without good cause, or you stand up for your position in a respectful way, but you don't just you don't just wilt under the glare of a judge, right? Is that, is that fair at least? It is. I mean, you preserve it for appeal. You know, you, I, I mean, there are ways to do this, but it's not the, oh, judge, this is mean girls in high school and I'm, I'm going to, you know, out mean you. Would you ever say to a judge, even the most obnoxious, unfair judge, I don't like to be spoken to that way? No, I would never say that in court. Is that helpful? There is no crying in baseball. So I will say again, you know, Judge Kaplan who I appeared in front of a lot and, and got to know well when I was U.S. attorney, you hear this phrase spoken many times. I often wonder if it's spoken by people who, you know, just have heard it in the wind and don't have personal experience when they say a judge is no nonsense. Mm -hmm. Next to no nonsense in the dictionary is a picture of Lewis Kaplan, <laughs> right? And he suffered, I mean, he's been on the bench for a very long time. He's one of the most able trial judges in the entire district. And he's not having any of this, but, you know, He's also aggressively fair, in my mind. When you poison yourself with a judge by showing yourself not to be particularly competent at, among other things, we'll get to this, getting evidence in or asking relevant questions, do judges put that aside as much as they can or do they hold it against the client? 
I think good judges, and this is a good judge, absolutely set it aside. And, you know, we see that in this record. I, I think we'll get to this in a minute. But there's a point where she's struggling to get evidence in, and he actually gives her the roadmap. She's not very gracious about it, but he is trying to help her. There's nothing in this record that's objectionable. And if anything, I think, you know, he showed a lot of patience. Some judges would have reacted far more strongly than he did. Let me ask you a question. When you were trying to introduce an exhibit, a trial, what's the thing that you put on the exhibit? A, a sticker with an exhibit number? With an exhibit number. Could you explain to folks just how basic a, a principle or habit that is? I mean, when I was in private practice, every paralegal in my law firm understood that that was their job in advance of trial. And when I shifted over to the government and it became my job, it was something that you didn't really think about because you had to mark your exhibits in advance and provide them to the court and to the other side. It's just, you know, it's rote. When you see someone who doesn't even understand or know that you mark exhibits in advance, that gives you some idea of how mismatched this lawyer is to the particular task of representing a former president in a serious defamation trial, right? And it's really interesting because occasionally these situations do come up in trial where there's something that you didn't anticipate putting into evidence that becomes relevant, so you have to put it in. And what do you do? You ask the clerk for a sticker. You know, can I have a sticker so that we can introduce this into evidence? I think we've all done that a handful of times. What's something else, Joyce, that you must do before you decide to approach a witness and show them a particular document? Yeah, you've got to make sure opposing counsel has it. Right. You've got to show it to the other side. And again, how basic and ingrained a habit is that for anyone who's tried any number of I mean, it's so ingrained that you just skip right past that. You don't even think about it because it's an automatic step you take. Yeah, and depending on how the courtroom is set up, the other counsel's table might be on the way to the witness stand and you stop and you show or you tell them what the exhibit... I mean, presumably, in most of the cases, the other side has all the documents. You just let them know which document it is that you're showing. One more, one more question. Are you allowed to read from a document that is not in evidence? Or maybe you want to explain just very, very briefly, what it means for something to be in evidence or not in evidence. Even that's not something that lay people might be familiar with. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, right? There's a lot of quote-unquote evidence in a case, but before something is admitted to a jury, it has to be authenticated, it has to be offered, the judge has to accept it into evidence, and only then is the jury supposed to hear from that piece uh, of evidence, from a document, for instance. Right. You can't just introduce things. You can't testify on your own. Well, Alina Haba tried to do that too, right? She tried <laughs> to do that too. My, my, so my favorite is when she's asking E. Jean Carroll if she knew if there was a communications team at the White House. <laughs> and E. Jean Carroll says, I don't know how the White House works. <laughs> and Haba says something like, I'll represent to you that there is a communications department. <laughs> um, which, as soon as I saw that, I started to laugh a little bit. And the judge says, counsel, we're not going to have any representations. <laughs> and she goes, it goes to my next question. And the judge says, I don't care what it goes to. We're not going to have any representations. If you want to make representations, you can be called as a witness. Now, the commentary about her performance suggests, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing. She missed law school. She forgot what happened in law school. I, I, that all may be true. But further to the point you were making before, I've absolutely seen people cross-examine this way. I've absolutely seen people 
try to respond to an objection from the judge by saying, it goes to my next question. And that's in television and film. Yeah. Right? Because maybe in state court in Alabama, but definitely on TV. <laughs> you said that. You said that, not me. <laughs> All of our Alabama fans can send me hate mail now. But for dramatic reasons, lawyers, both prosecutors and defense lawyers on TV, say all sorts of crazy, inadmissible shit, right? We've talked here on the podcast from time to time about doing and maybe a show on some of the you know all-time most egregious things that happened. We can give an example here if we have time or maybe next week. And that they're doing that because they don't have to have fidelity to the law. And most people don't understand, you know, the boring nature of admitting evidence and everything else. And it's helpful for the drama for the prosecutor or the defense lawyer to make asides or to make speeches uh, when they're only supposed to be asking questions or say inappropriate things to the jury. But this is a real trial. It's not even on TV, even closed circuit TV. So the idea that you're going to say uh, to someone when they, when they don't know what you're talking about, do you know about X? I don't know about X. Let me represent to you what X is. Is to somebody who's even done a few trials, and in my case, not in the number of years, just kind of stunning. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You know, I discovered Law and Order when I was home on maternity leave with my second kid. And my husband used to laugh at me because I would throw stuff at the TV. I would call the TV out. You know, I would over... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, Thank you for supporting our work.